there there is so many companies out there that that ha- have so much friction and I don't want to change my ways. Right. And senior life is doing the opposite. They're embracing successful women. Yes. They're changing the structure to support working from home and single moms. Right. And these people are knocking it out of the park and and senior life is knocking it out of the park. Thomas Roach, Director of Marketing with Senior Life Insurance Company. We're actually at the Rosen Shingle Creek Resort in Orlando, Florida. And like usual, we are all fired up. Today, we have a very special guest on the podcast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have Katie Cook. So, Hi, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. We really appreciate you joining us today. Um, you know, you talked today at our uh, Run Fast kickoff event here in Orlando. Uh, it's Run Fast is a theme we're running with the entire year. One of the main reasons that we wanted to book you to come speak was because, as you know, they kind of briefed you in advance, uh, women are taking over this industry and definitely taking over our company, which is a very, very good thing. I am not one of those men that thinks that women can't do what men do. I grew up in a house full of women. I learned the hard way that that is not the case, um, but it is still very inspiring. So how do you handle uh, when people come up to you, especially young women, women maybe high school and younger, and they talk about how you've affected them. Like, how do you handle that? That's definitely an honor. You know, it was an honor to be a part of the Blue Angels, mm-hmm. um, but I would have never been there if it wasn't for the women who came before me and carved right. that path before me. Um, and if I could advance that path just a little bit more for mm-hmm. the people behind me, then that's what I'm here to do, you know? And so if that inspires some girl to become a pilot or a marine or a blue angel Mm. or even if it's to be an astronaut or a doctor or try something that they were afraid to do then then there's no greater feeling than that you know Mm. and um, I think it's great what you said in your opening just then you know women will never fully reach equality until we have allies like you Mm. until we have men who are advocating for women in the workplace Um, and that's what I was there on the blue angels to do as well is correct those misperceptions with Mm. little boys who who didn't know that women could be pilots or Marines or right. angels. So to be able to correct that, that was great. Was was there any just hardships just socially with being a woman and being in that position? Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't talk about it a whole lot, but there is definitely some jealousy on the team. Mm. Um, you know, traditionally the jet pilots are the center of attention and all of a sudden now I came in and I'm the fat Albert pilot and I was yes. getting the national level media and stuff. And um, so there was some jealousy in there, but I think for the most part, people saw the value in it, you know, mm. for since 1946, the team was all male pretty much, yeah. you know, in flying roles, it definitely was all male. And so, um, I think they saw the upswell of support Mm. and this, you know, everyone reaching out and coming to the shows and talking about women in the cockpit. I think they saw the impact that the team was having and and kind of got over those feelings. How did it feel? Because correct me if I'm wrong, and I think you said it maybe like on 60 Minutes or something like that. You actually in the position that you when you became a member of the Blue Angels, you had to actually be voted in. That's correct. Yep. So yeah. the the process of becoming a Blue Angel is actually pretty lengthy. Right. So they put out a message to all the Marine Corps and Navy pilots that say, hey, these are the qualifications you have to have. And it's, you know, a certain amount of flight hours and stuff like that. Um, 
And then you apply, and that application is actually about the size of a college application. There's oh, essays, and right. there's a picture you have to do, and um, you get letters of recommendation and all of that. And then you actually go to two shows as what we call a uh, applicant. And so you're, in addition to them getting to know you, you're actually getting to know the team because you're mm. on the road 300 days out of the year with these people. So wow. you get kind of a behind-the-scenes look to see does your personality jive with this? Can you deal with that kind of lifestyle for two to four years? Right. Um, and then if you're in the top two candidates after that, they bring you down mm -hmm. um, during Beach Week in July. And that's right. when you do like a formal interview. And then at the end, it's 16 people sitting around a table and it has to be a unanimous vote to get somebody on the team. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So that must be very gratifying just to be, you know, even taking the, being a woman and everything out of it, just gratifying for your peers to recognize you. But also, uh, weren't you considerably younger than somebody that holds that position? So also, I know you kind of explained it today. If you could maybe re-explain it for those that weren't able to catch it, like how did you kind of get to that point? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think it was kind of good timing, but also like hard work on my part yeah. that got me there. So um I actually filled in for someone last minute on a deployment to Afghanistan that I wasn't scheduled to go on. Mm -hmm. um, somebody popped up with some health issues, and because of the reputation that I had built in the squadron, they picked me to be that last minute fill, which right. was an honor, you know. And so um, I deployed and got a lot of flight hours there. Um, and because of the amount of flying that I was doing, the process to upgrade from co pilot to aircraft commander is normally about 36 months. I right. did it in about half the time. Wow. Um, and then I went on a second deployment almost immediately after that. So I was building up more flight hours. Right. And so um, I managed to get the requisites done for the Blue Angels in a significantly less amount of time in my career than traditionally. So I was about four to six years younger than most people who applied for the Blues I got you. in my career. And so um, they definitely took a chance on me being young, but I had the experience in the cockpit and mm turned out for the best i guess <laughs> i got you what what kind of inspired you just to kind of taking it back a little bit further to, to to be a marine in the first place you know i feel i come from a military family my dad is a retired army i think it's a very important and prestigious thing to do uh but as kind of time goes on is it's i don't want to say less popular but it doesn't necessarily have the impact on our country that it did maybe you know, in the 70s, mm -hmm. the 40s, et cetera. So for yourself, what kind of inspired you to want to get into that to begin with? Was it simply hanging out in a recruiter talk mm -hmm. to you? I know you mentioned you do have a history of military in your family. What was it ultimately that inspired you to want to be a Marine in the first place? Well, first of all, thanks for your family service, you know. Um, but yes, I, I actually come from a long lineage of military members as well. Both my grandfathers were in the Army Air Corps and then the Air Force. Um, and then my father it was a 26-year Navy veteran, also a pilot. Mm -hmm. Both of my uncles, his brothers, were pilots, one in the Air Force, one in the Navy. Um, and then there's me. So right. I'm actually the first Marine, so I went rogue <laughs> around the rest of my family. <laughs> right. um, and that was actually from my time at the Naval Academy. Mm -hmm. um, I did some summer training, and I was really impressed by the quality of individual that the enlisted Marines I was around during my summer training. They're extremely professional, very mm -hmm. good at their job. And not that any other service had lower quality people. It was just I was so impressed with them mm -hmm. that I wanted to lead those individuals. I want to surround myself with people like that. And that's ultimately what made me decide on the Marine Corps. I got you. Well, a lot of that seems still uh, just being a civilian, not being in the military myself. That still seems pretty scary. And then you talk about your combat missions. And then earlier when you were speaking at our event, you talked about how the Blue Angel jets are. How close are they? They're 18 inches apart. 18 yeah. inches apart. Mm -hmm. 
I got super scared just driving through Orlando traffic to come <laughs> here from the small town we're in. How, like, first of all, like, how legit is your poker face on a regular day? Um, well, I mean, we're taught as pilots to compartmentalize, to rely on your training. I mean, you do things enough, just like driving a car, that you right. get comfortable doing it. You know, um, everybody gets nervous. Everybody gets those, um, those like, kind of butterflies, especially in combat when you know that the stakes are much, much higher than, mm. say, a Blue Angel air show, you know. Right. Um, but when you get in that mindset of you can't fail because these are people's sons and these right. are people's daughters and fathers and mothers like that's all you can think about is mission success you don't even let failure kind of right. creep into your mind does it and then forgive me once again not mm -hmm. being a part no, of that you're good is it like more kind of robotic at that point for you or um i would say it's it's robotic in a sense that you're relying on your training um in that hey i need to line up the shot this way i need to be at this altitude and, and so that's robotic um but i would say uh, every situation is unique. Mm -hmm. um, and so you also have that like art in that it's can sometimes be almost like a dance with the airplane to get it right. to where it needs to be. And so that's where your piloting skills come in. That's where you're, um, you can, you, you set yourself apart from your peers. You know, right. if, if you can feel the airplane and know it and kind of be able to problem solve on the fly and that kind of thing. Right. Um, I, I would say it, that is the non robotic part, but you don't let the fear, you don't let the, you know, you don't get paralyzed or anything mm -hmm. like that when you can rely on your training. And, and again, you're focusing on the mission at hand and that's those Marines on the right. ground or, or whatever it is at the time. A lot of people kind of uh, buckle under fear, a fear of the unknown. A lot of people that get into our industry, if uh, they don't have somebody that's close to them in it, uh, there's a lot of reservation to move forward on that. What are some things that you feel uh, help you and may help somebody on our sales team or somebody thinking about becoming a, a member of our sales team? What are things that you, that you would recommend to help people get over that kind of fear with the level of scary things that you've had to deal mm -hmm. with over the course of your career, especially? Yeah. So um, I kind of I talked about it during my speech, but there's three main themes that I feel like successful people have running throughout their life. And that's the motivation, minutia and mistakes. And I feel like these three things can help you overcome this fear. So motivation, being motivated by something greater than yourself. So not just gaining wealth, but maybe you're providing for your family or you're trying to get extra money to donate to your faith or to your community for you guys, you know, you're helping people plan for possibly the worst day yes. of their entire life. Absolutely. And, you know, part, part of your company also helps with buying a casket and mm -hmm. getting tombstones and all that stuff, which again, could be overwhelming for someone that's grieving and you guys are doing such a great service for somebody. And so, um, that motivation of something greater than yourself, when you're in a scary or you're, you're about to embark on something, if you can rely on like, Hey, this is going to help my family, right. or this is going to contribute to my community. This is going to help people who are in need mm -hmm. that helps you overcome that fear. Minutia as well. You can use that to be like, Hey, you know, you might have that self-doubt that creeps in. I don't know if I'm good enough at this. Go over the things that you are good at. And you can start at the, am I am I a good organizer? Mm. Yes. Am I good at communicating? Yes. Am I a good people person? Yes. So you can start at that minutia and build yourself up like, hey, I can get over this. And then finally, those mistakes, right? Mistakes, not only are you learning from your mistakes, but right. you can't be paralyzed. You can't have that fear of making mistakes. If you view mistakes as a learning experience to improve yourself in the future, mm. then you can't 
you can approach every opportunity as a learning experience to grow and shape you into that person that you want to be. Um, and so you shouldn't be paralyzed by anything because even if you fail, it's an opportunity to shape yourself, right? right? So I think those three themes can really help you overcome fear. Are those three themes that you came up with that you had somebody that you were under that brought that to you? Like, where does that, those three things? Yeah, that was just me. Um, I was, I was trying to sit down and organize my thoughts and that's really kind of, mm. it, it came out of me, my, my brain, I <laughs> <Right>. guess. <laughs> right. Right. Came out of my brain. Well, there you go. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's really amazing. Thank you. Um, so let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Your husband was active military as well. He was, yeah. And he was a blue angel too. Yeah. So mm -hmm. kind of explain, I guess, how did you guys meet? Yeah, so um, we were actually in the same operational squadron, the one that I did the two deployments with. It was VMGR-252 out of Cherry Point, North Carolina. Mm. But um, we were kind of like ships passing in the night. He was deployed, um, came home, and then I deployed. So I think I maybe had like one training flight with him, so I knew of him. Um, I knew he was kind of like a, a jokester or a cowboy-ish right. while I'm like very rule-following. Right, right. And so I didn't even think that we would – be friends, you know, um, and <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> then, and then, uh, based off my reputation, he was the one that actually reached out and said, Hey, I think you should apply for the blue angels. So I got to know him and we became friends on the blue angels. And then was he already a member at that time? He was, okay. yeah. He joined the, the year before me. Um, and then he left. So a year before me, cause there's a rotation obviously. And right. so, um, after he left, we started dating and then the rest is history. So, well, so with the rotation, were you guys actually flying together at the same time? We were, yeah. Okay. Well, so we overlapped by one year. He actually trained me to fly the demonstration um, on Fat Albert. And uh, yeah, so we overlapped for a year. Um, so yeah, it was it was fun. Looking back on it now, it's like great stories to tell right. our kids, you know. <laughs> what is that like? Because we always talk about in our business, like a big major part of it is competitive nature mm -hmm. of our salespeople. And we do have a lot of uh, husband and wife teams. Mm -hmm. So when you're in, I, I feel like there's a lot of junk that's being talked whenever you're uh -oh. flying planes and stuff. So like, what is that back and forth with your husband? Like, is there that, is there that competitive nature, especially in that atmosphere? Like, what is that, what's going on then? Oh yeah, for sure. There's definitely competitive, you know, things that we set for ourselves. I mean, I, I am my own worst critic. Um, so I know I'm going to be harder on myself than like anybody else. Um, but it's also pretty awesome having him in my corner too. Mm. Even from the beginning before we were romantically involved, he always had my back and anytime I succeeded or broke the glass ceiling, if you will, right. he was my biggest champion from the beginning. I got you. Um, and so, yes, we would be competitive. I would fly an awesome flight and be like, eh, it's better than yours, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but what's awesome about the C-130 is you do have a right seat, left seat pilot, and then you have your enlisted crew that's also helping as well. And so um, you can't be successful unless everyone is working together. And right. so we got to fly those together. So if he had a really bad flight, it was likely because I screwed something up as well right. or vice versa. Um, so you, you do have to work towards a team, but yes, there right. definitely is that like, I did better than you, right. you know? <laughs> right. And it, even now I joke because obviously he's extremely successful in his own right, but I, I'm like, hey, you've, you're not Dusty Cook anymore. You're Katie Cook's husband. Uh. Like, <laughs> so we, we tease out that, that he rides my coattails, but he, right. that's a joke, obviously. He's, right. he's very successful. Right. So, like, 
if my father watches this podcast, he's going to be horribly disappointed because he can most like uh, aircraft, helicopters, planes. He can name what they are by the sound of them. Yep. Because he was in the military for almost thirty years. Wow. Um, but I don't really know about that kind yeah, of stuff. No, so that's fine. for the people that are watching the podcast. Yeah. Uh, others it may be a novice like myself what explain what fat albert is yeah what's going on there what kind of plane is that what are yeah. you doing like maybe kind of break that down a little bit yeah so fat albert is a four engine traditionally cargo aircraft um it is the logistics asset of the blue angels so in addition to the um six f-18s that you see perform mm -hmm. there's also Fat Albert generally opens the show. I got you. Um, we do about a 10-minute demonstration exercising the capabilities of the C-130. You know, traditionally, people think of us as they move cargo from one place to another. And so being able to show our angles of bank and the speed that we can get at what altitude we can get is is pretty cool to be able to show that. Right. But, yep, she's a, she's a C-130. Uh, she was the one that I was flying as a T model, so that's an older model that's okay. been replaced in the fleet. Right. Um, and she was retired two years ago, and so now they're trying to get a new J model, which is the new version that's okay. coming out. Um, they're purchasing it from the UK okay. and painting her up, the pretty yeah. yellow and blue that she is, and then they're going to fly her over, and hopefully she'll be doing demonstrations here in the next couple of years. That's really awesome. Thanks. Um, one thing you talked about, a big thing, uh, something we talk about as a company, uh, motivation. Yep. Uh, for me, my motivation is a few things. One, I have a daughter, so mm -hmm. that is probably my biggest uh, motivating factor just to even get out of bed every day. Mm -hmm. uh, you also are a mother. I am. And how much does that, I guess, play into your motivation if you were to put in your own words? Um, it Just like you, I think that is the highest motivation that I have. Um, not only to support them financially, obviously, because I want them to have a great life mm -hmm. and whatever opportunities they want, but also to set an example for them. Um, my grandfather was hugely impactful in my life. Right. I alluded to it in my speech. My father as well, a, an amazing example of a, a military officer. Um, and so I want to be able to set that example, something that they can be proud of. You know, my, my mom, yes, was the first Blue Angel pilot, but she also cared about her people. She also worked really hard. She, right. Those are the type of things that I want them I mean, I, you can talk till you're blue in your face trying to teach somebody something, right. especially kids, you right. know, right. I, but <laughs> right. if you can show them and through your actions that you can achieve success, but still be altruistic, humanitarian, yeah. benevolent, you know, caring, um, that, then, you know, you're raising good people for society, yeah. Yeah. you know? And so they're, they're absolutely my motivation for every action that I do in my life. To what is a parent uh, just thinking about, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, children go into similar trades as their parents. Like, do you, do you and your husband want them to become military? Is it whatever they want? Like, what is what is your mind? What is your thought process on that? Um, obviously, I think any parent would be apprehensive about their child going off to war. You yeah. know, that's a normal feeling to have. But knowing the quality of training that I had, mm -hmm. how I was so confident when I was going in there, I would never take that opportunity and say, no, you can't do it. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm also not actively saying you have to do it, you yeah. know? Uh, so if they want to be an artist or a law enforcement officer or whatever, then more power to them. Right. I would prefer that they do something um, that contributes to society in some way. Yeah. And if that's through their art, then great. If that's through um, serving their country, then that's great. If they mm -hmm. want to be a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, that's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm going to support whatever they want to do. Absolutely. 
I'm um, just kind of switching gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you and I were hanging out uh, with Bruno, actually from the marketing department, he's in the room right now, but he was hanging out with us um, after you gave your speech. And uh, a gentleman from our recruiting department named Corbin told a really amazing story. Mm-hmm. And I know that your response was, uh, it is really a small world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to mess up anything about that. So yeah. can you recall the really cool story that you two were discussing just prior to coming over to hanging out with me and Bruno? Yeah, sure. So um, I was in Afghanistan. I was on um, my RC-130. It's a specially modified one called the Harvest Hawk. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a C-130 that shoots Hellfire and Griffin missiles. So we okay. do a lot of close air support. Um, and so... It was my very first flight that I was doing live fire. So it's just nuts that this happened on the first flight. But um, there was kind of a a cloud layer, and we get a call of of troops in contact. So that means that an enemy is actively shooting at at Marine forces. And so through the radio, I could hear, like, the tick, tick, tick of, like, rounds hitting near the radio operator. You could hear the RPG explosions. Right as they're reading what we call a nine line. And it's basically like a, a plan to, to fire a missile. Right. right. And so, um, you know, I'm, I descended the plane through the cloud cover. We found the target. We shot two hellfire, took out the, uh, it was a PKM team or a heavy machine gun team on top mm. of the building. Um, and everything was hunky dory after that. Right. You know, our, right, our guys right. were good. We hit the, we hit the target and then, kind of fast forward about, you know, six months, I was on my second deployment. I was actually in a bar in Spain on my second mm-hmm. deployment. And I had a guy come up to me and said um, that, he, hey, were you on Filth 02, which was the call sign of my airplane in Afghanistan? Right. And I said, yeah, I was. And he was like, I recognize your voice mm-hmm. from the radio. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, wow, that's, you that's know. wild. <laughs> I mean, there's hardly any women over there. And right. so I, it wasn't like a huge stretch. Right. Um, but he was like, yeah, do you remember this time there was a PKM team and, and we were pinned down and right. and you shot those missiles? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he was like, that was me. You you saved our lives. And so mm. um, this individual mm. it came up to me after the speech and was like, oh, it was it was my unit. I was actually medevaced because I got shrapnel yeah. before then. But right. it was my unit, my guys that you shot for. So. You know what a what a crazy small right. world. <laughs> right. You know that not only did I meet that guy in in Spain, but now I met a second one. Yes. You know here at this event. So um, again, that I'm so proud of the Blue Angels, but um, that is my most proud moment in my career for sure. Um, with all that we've discussed today, all that you discussed during your speech earlier, um, are you ever? Has there at any point in your career have you just been just flat afraid? flat afraid just completely afraid not saying that you didn't break through and actually accomplish what you still needed to accomplish but do you ever recall when thinking of those combat missions when thinking flying 18 inches apart any of that stuff becoming apparent was there is there anything where you can you would honestly say that you were just afraid um so personal life wise um my water broke four weeks early with Mm. my first son so that scared me. Yeah. Um, one, it was like I was a first-time parent, and I was literally standing in the shower, like asking, "Am I peeing?" To my husband, he's <laughs> right. like, "No, your water broke." Right. So, so that was scary because I was worried about my kid and and myself as to why I went into labor early. But right. everything turned out great. So right. I got scared for no reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as far as like in an airplane, the one time that I remember being really afraid was when I was in flight school, and. Um, 
I don't mean to tell this story and like scare people, but <laughs> I was in flight school. Right. And I think the reason I was most scared is because I didn't know what I was doing. I was a brand new student. And so right. not having the full like situational awareness of what was going on right. exacerbated the situation. Right. Um, and so I was in formation with another trainer aircraft. Um, we got stuck in the weather and um, my, my, instructor was in the back seat and he took over because I wasn't qualified to fly in clouds yet. That tells you how new I was. Right. Um, and I guess he got disoriented. So did the pilot following us. I was looking outside because I didn't even know how to read the instruments really inside oh, my wow. airplane. Like wow. that's, I was brand new. Right. Um, and we broke out and somehow he, we had all gotten disoriented in the clouds and we were, uh, you can think about it. Um, we are on on a knife edge, so ninety degrees with thirty degrees nose low, so like right. in formation. Right. So thank God I was looking outside because we broke out and all I saw were trees. So I instinctively right. grabbed the stick and pulled it into my stomach. I ended up over Ging the airplane, so I went like seven point six Gs. I pulled so hard. I, um, my instructor kind of grayed out a little bit because he wasn't expecting me to pull the stick. Um, <laughs> oh but gosh. they pulled the black box on, on the other plane and we were at 50 feet when we recovered 50 feet. Yeah. And we were at like 320 knots. So, so we almost died of like just 50 by, feet off the ground. Correct. Wow. And, and the only reason that we did it is cause I happened to be looking outside and pulled into my stomach and wow. And the other plane followed us cause we were in formation. Thank God. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think, that definitely scared the crap out of me, which is good because, you know, right. it was legitimately a, a uh, we almost killed ourselves. Mm. Um, but it it definitely changed my perspective on being hyper aware of things mm. when you have a new student in the airplane. Because right. when I was a student, I didn't know what was going on. Right. Um, so as an instructor later on in my career, I was I was hyper aware of that. And so, yeah, that definitely scared me. Um, and but that's kind of only the few couple times that I can think right. about being scared in the air. That's really amazing. Thanks. That's really amazing. Now you took when we were walking up here, we were talking, mm -hmm. and you said that you are still in the reserves. I am. Yep. But you do have another career that you are pursuing. I am. Yep. Um, for and and I always I hate to resort back to my father, but that's my point of reference. Yep. Whenever he retired, it was really difficult for him because there's a lot of just. Uh, it's not as, as organized as the military. It's not like right on time as the military. You know, he's a very, like to this day, he still gets up at 4 a.m. no matter where he has to go because mm -hmm. when he was in, that's what time he got up. Yep. Was that hard to transition out and, and, and to... I can't even emphasize how hard it is yeah. to transition out. Yeah. Um, the military tries, but they fall woefully short of preparing you. military members on the outside. Yeah. And I think this is unfortunately directly contributing to the high suicide rates that we have out Yes, uh, uh, for veterans, you know, 22 suicides a day is because they're not fully prepared or they're the emotional aspect of no longer being a Marine or being right. in the military anymore. That camaraderie that you had every day. Now you're much more alone. Mm -hmm. um, no one's telling you where to go, what to do, what to eat, you know? And so sometimes that can be an overwhelming transition for people. Um, I definitely struggled transitioning, getting out, uh, not having Marines to take care of all the time. Right. Um, e the company that I work for now, um, which I'm going to just not say their name yeah. because <laughs> I would have to get like approval for that. But it's all good. Um, the company that I work for now, though, um, goes above and beyond for their people. There is right. actually like a military veterans network. I gotcha. um, and so that's been really helpful. And um, I I think 
the VA and DOD in general can do right. a better job for it. And, and I think they're starting to get there. Right. Um, and, and I think there are these like homegrown veteran networks that people are reaching out to and stuff right. that I think um, are, are trying to curb some of the issues that we've been seeing. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you. Uh, just being in your presence is, is a completely an honor. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I do thank you very much, you and your husband both, for y'all's service for our country. Um, when we wrap up the podcast, when we get to the end, I always like to ask our guests, is there anything else you'd like to say, something we haven't covered, anything you'd like to say to our sales team, anything you'd like to mention before we got out of here today? Um, so I would say it's probably twofold. First, mm -hmm. um, I, I want everyone to remember those men and women that we still have deployed overseas yes. fighting for our country Absolutely. and keeping us safe. And um, we don't want to forget about them um, because they are still in harm's way, yes. uh, even if they don't get covered by the media that often. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing I want to say is I think what this company is doing and supporting women being successful, yes. um, there there is so many companies out there that that ha have so much friction and I don't want to change my ways. Right. And senior life is doing the opposite. They're embracing successful women. Yes. They're changing the structure to support working from home and single moms. Right. And these people are knocking it out of the park and, and senior life is knocking it out of the park, you mm. know, with 42% growth or whatever yes. it is yes. in a, in a single year. Like yeah. that is insane. And it's because you are embracing female empowerment mm -hmm. and um i couldn't have been prouder to be here in this organization to, to be talking to a group of of men and women like you guys thank you so much uh this is definitely like i said been an honor i definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk to us uh you're just you're amazing oh, thank thanks you, thank you so much sure thing my pleasure definitely so ladies and gentlemen katie cook and uh like i say at the end of every podcast it's senior life all your life <laughs>